welcome to Commerce Confidential. I'm your host, Randy Cole, and we have a great episode in store for you today. In the past year, perhaps no topic within commerce has received more coverage than supply chain. Both getting products in stock and getting them to customers in a timely and efficient manner are two of the key components of a successful commerce operation. And these levers within the broader commerce experience have never been more complex. Today, I'm joined by Dave Glick of Flex. Flex, that's F-L-E-X-E, solves the most difficult omnichannel logistics problems for the world's largest retailers and brands. Dave spent 20 years at Amazon building key parts of the retail operations technology, including Amazon's original automated pricing system, many of the features in today's warehouse management system, and various transportation systems, including Amazon Flex. He is now the CTO of Flex, which delivers technology-powered, omnichannel logistics programs within three offerings, flexible fulfillment, rapid replenishment, and inventory overflow. We have a lot to cover, so let's get this episode picked, packed, and shipped. Dave, welcome to Commerce Confidential. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Oh, our pleasure. Really excited to have you and, and talk you know, about what you and your company do. So let's start with that. You know, Flex is not familiar to a lot of our listeners. Can you give us at a high level you know, what Flex is and what differentiates the company from others in this space? Yeah, I'd like to um, tell the origin story, which my uh, boss, Carl Siebrecht, shared with me. He was at a cocktail party once and a guy came up and said, I'm about to sign a lease for five years for five or for 100,000 square feet of warehouse space that I don't need. I said, tell me more. It's like, well, what I really need is 20,000 square feet of warehouse space for this Christmas for the ramp up. And then, but my company's growing, so I may need 100,000 square feet within five years. And so if you could just get me you know, 20,000 square feet of warehouse space for three months, that would be excellent. And so Carl looked around and said, someone must do this. And it turned out no one did. And so he started this company with a couple of co-founders. And so um, that was the, the beginning that there was a need for flexible logistics and flexible warehousing. And you know, we think of it like um, AWS. Like back in the day, you either had to build your own data center or you could go to a co-host, uh, uh, Colo, and sign long-term contracts that were really expensive and awkward. And then AWS and Azure and GCP came along, and now you just buy what you need. And so Flex is doing the same thing for physical space, where we say, tell us what you need. And, and for many of our customers, flexible means you know, 12 to 18 months or even three years, and not no longer three months. We started doing you know, small deals with small folks, and now we've got big enterprise clients uh, which is what we're focused on, and I think which differentiates us from other sort of software-enabled 3PLs. Um, we're working with six of the top 10 retailers and, and several of the large CPG companies as well. But the idea is you don't know two things. You don't know where you're going to need what your volume looks like, uh, both in space and time. Forecasting's hard. Uh, and you don't have the capital to build a bunch of buildings. So even if you had perfect forecasts, you would know, oh, if I want to do two-day delivery, I need three, three buildings. If you want to do next-day delivery, I need five, you know, eight to 10 buildings to cover 90% of the U.S. And so what Flex does is we work with a network of like 1,000 3PLs. We don't own any space, but uh, we have them in our network. So you do a single connection, a single integration with Flex, a single contract with Flex. You have access to 1,000 different buildings that you can put your stuff in. 
for no capital. So our model is all variable cost. So if you think about what differentiates us from traditional 3PL, no long-term contracts, no upfront costs, no capital, purely OPEX. That is, we are allowed to do that because of our technology, which ties all of these warehouses together um, and builds the features that you need, either doing direct-to-consumer fulfillment or doing pallet in, pallet out, store replenishment, or other middle mile B2B type transactions. Sure. I mean, that, that's obviously a bit of a game changer in the industry. So I could see where, you know, you're standing out, you know, and kind of let's dig in a little deeper, you know, last couple of years, really, people that have never heard the word supply chain or logistics have heard about it. And those of us in the industry have lived it. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit at a high level or as deep as you want to go about the challenges the industry is facing in terms of both, you know, first mile and last mile logistics? Yeah, I mean, supply chain in the best of times is hard and complex. <laughs> and then if you say uh, your vendor lead time just went from six weeks getting stuff from China to somewhere between 12 weeks and never <laughs> because your stuff's sitting in the port, prices are going crazy. By the time the, the inventory lands on shore, demand has changed. You know, the Fed is raising interest rates. So all of these things are adding tons of volatility and some tons of challenges to the supply chain. And so my mental model is to, you know, to improve your supply chain, to improve your in-stock, to reduce your costs, you either need to be able to forecast well, or you need to be able to adapt and be agile. Like I've been in the tech industry for many, many years, and I've always tried to stay away from trying to tell the future. <laughs> Telling the future is hard. And so I'm not able to control that, but I can make you more agile and I can adapt. So what that means is, uh, you know, you've got 60 containers loads of stuff on the water and your demand just dried up because the Fed raised interest rates. Well, you need some place to put that for the next six months or maybe in the next 12 months. Uh, well, if you go to DHL or GXO, they may say, we'd like you to sign a five-year lease at, or five-year contract. And Flex would say, great, we'll sign a six-month deal and a month to month after that. So you have flexibility in time and space. Um, on the other hand, if your direct-to-consumer blows up like it did in 2020 and 21, uh, we got calls from big enterprise retailers saying, oh my God, my, my e-com has tripled in the last month. Can you help us? It's going to take us two years to build a building in Southern California. And we're like, we can stand you up in three weeks. And so flexibility in both time and space um, is what Flex provides. And, and it's obviously a service that every brand retailer needs. And you know something, I'm sure that they've they've struggled with, and so it's what what a you know novel solution to a complex set of problems that that they're all facing. And related to the problems in the space, you know, we work um, directly with a lot of brands that have direct to consumer aspirations. Um, what we've seen is a lot of these companies, you know, were great at shipping pallets of product. When it came down to a single SKU, everything kind of went off the rails a little bit. So. You know, we've seen some refactors, some, you know, have tried multiple times, and there's some that have yet to go D to C that are planning to in the near future. I'm sure most brands will. So what are some of the key challenges and considerations brands need to address, you know, as they go direct to consumer? Well, if you think about the direct to consumer industry, aside from like L.L. Bean, none of that existed 20 years ago, right? And even L.L. Bean was four to six weeks of delivery. And, you know, I always tell a story when I was a kid, I would order a KTEL record for $8.99 mm -hmm. and it would be $6.99 shipping in four to six weeks of delivery. And what they would do is they'd sell their record and then they'd bring a pallet in and pick directly off that when they had big enough batches. 
what Amazon has done is driven that batchiness out. And now it's not four to six weeks, it's four to six hours. And so that's a big change. And it's, you know, some of the challenges are inventory accuracy. I mean, one of the things Amazon did better than anybody else was inventory accuracy. When you're shipping pallets to a, a store, like if you're shipping Cheetos to a convenience store, if you run out of Cheetos, if you're missing a pallet of Cheetos, you can send Fritos instead. Um, if you're shipping, you know, the, the the Harry Potter book to customer X, you better have the Harry Potter book in stock <laughs> and you better have enough of them. And so that is one of the big changes going from B2B or wholesale to direct to consumer is your inventory has to be great. And there's lots of folks who aren't as good at that. Second thing is like the customer expectations are high. So rather than put in an order and you put it on the truck when the truck shows up, it's like has to be on the truck at 5 p.m. when UPS shows up. It means you can only take orders till 3 p.m. But if you could take them to 3.30, you might sell some more stuff. That's something that Amazon's done well, is kept pushing back that prime delivery cutoff and reducing the cycle time. And so that's another challenge is like the quality, both of the inventory and getting the process down to 5, 10, 15 minutes to pick an item are new challenges for most people. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we obviously, you can't have this kind of conversation without mentioning Amazon. Amazon, I think, has influenced consumer expectations to a huge degree with all the innovation they've done. So what what are, you know, realistically, what are consumer expectations for delivery? Is, is same-day delivery the default for consumers? Or is there some leeway in different product categories that brands could maybe manage costs a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think two-day is the de facto standard, just because that's what Amazon has set, and it's, and it's possible to do economically, you know, with three or four nodes. Amazon is pushing towards next day, and I think lots of people are pushing towards next day. No one has really done well in the same-day space. Like, you know, you read these surveys by Gartner, and it says 70% of people plan to have a same-day operation this year. Like, name one company who does well at same-day. <laughs> Target, arguably, was shipped does ship from store and Walmart is, is trying to catch them. You know, I think they're spending a lot of money to do that. Amazon, if you're in Seattle or New York, uh, same day, you know, I can get many things same day if I'm careful at looking through, but I don't think same day is a de facto standard. Although, you know, for many years, the problem was shipping costs. You know, you go to FedEx and their FedEx same day city, which was 30 to $80, which is prohibitively expensive. Now with these crowdsourced uh, carriers like, uh, Uber Eats or Roadie or Swift or even Amazon Flex, there is a you know a solution where you can get away with you know fifteen dollars or even lower cost per delivery. But if you think about you know fifteen dollars, if you've got a seventy five dollar basket at twenty percent gross margin, you just spend all that gross margin, and anything less than that, you're going to be upside down. Sure, and you know to take it to a little a little sidebar on this is you know I think we've seen um, some of these like instant delivery companies try to deliver C-store products, you know, in 10, 15 minute increments, they're obviously limited to dense urban centers. And uh, quite frankly, seeing that, you know, sectors struggle quite a bit, there's been a lot of pullback. So it's much harder in practice than it might be in theory, it, it would seem. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, you know, my take on that is that if you're delivering chips and soda and beer to college kids in the evening, you know, they're maybe not as cost sensitive, as well as like, it's very dense. But to grow your business, you have to either expand selection, which is costly, get price 
price competitive, which is costly, expand your catchment area, which is costly because you're putting a bunch of capital in there. And so it seems like they may have a, a limit of places, dense urban areas and college campuses, and that's going to uh, limit their TAM significantly. Absolutely. So let me take a, a little different direction here. So, you know, given sometimes limited inventory on hand um, related to supply chain or other issues, how should brands prioritize channels in terms of fulfillment, you know, to consumer versus retail versus marketplaces like Amazon? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's actually an interesting question. And for someone like Amazon, you'd have, you know, a dozen engineers or a pizza team, eight engineers working on just that little problem of, you know, profit maximization or customer satisfaction optimization. The vast majority of people, of companies, basically, if you're not Amazon or maybe Walmart, you're going to probably use a greedy algorithm, which is, you know, whoever orders first gets it. That's my guess is that, you know, you could do a, you could say if inventory is scarce, we want to use it just for uh, the the highest margin business, the highest profit business, which is direct to consumer. But are you going to walk away from Target, where you're sending pallets and container loads of stuff, and you get the volume there? My guess is you do whatever you've got a PO for. Right. I'm sure there's a whole behind the scenes. You know, if you choose D to C over retail, as you just mentioned, and you give up that shelf space for even a limited time, you may never get that shelf space back. Um, it's a super, you know, competitive, you know, market across all sectors. So, yeah, and you know what what Amazon liked to do is like maximize profit dollars. That was our mantra, not profit margin, you know, not revenue. Maximize profit dollars. When I was there, and so that's another way to think about it is like you can ship ten pallets of this to Target, who pays you today at a, in a very predictable profit dollar amount, uh, and then you can you know, or you can ship to the, consumers and you may make more dollars per unit, but your volume's lower. And so, you know, and your working capital, you know, is out there because it's sitting on the shelves. If you can get paid quickly by uh, one of these retailers, maybe that's the best move to you. Lots of multivariate calculus, which almost nobody does. <laughs> no, absolutely. And you know, we were talking offline before this about returns and when you're doing D2C, that's another thing that uh, makes it even more complicated that uh, they have to consider as, you know, they're choosing which channel to, uh, you know, gets, gets the goodies, if you will. Speaking of goodies, you, know, you can't really have a conversation about logistics or um, e-commerce without talking about holiday, aka peak season, whatever we want to call it these days. You know, it's so important to all brands and retailers, um, and planning can never begin early enough. So given some of the challenges in recent years, some of the you know more recent events in terms of you know the economy. How can brands prepare to meet this year's demand? Oh man, uh, I, there's so much to say. <laughs> um, first of all, you know I would I would expect we start planning for Christmas and peak Black Friday, whatever you want to call it, uh, in January first or January second. It's when you need to start planning, and you know that means lining up your three PL. Or you know, building your ordering plan, your um, SNOP, and so on. But you know, things have changed even in the last six weeks. And so I know for like toys, people put in their buys in February. And so I bet we're going to be overstocked on toys <laughs> come the end of the year. Other ones, you have more late binding decisions. But we've seen with Amazon and others, you know, they they ordered a lot of inventory. They built lots of warehouses because. You know, over the last 10 years, the tenant has been never run out of capacity. 
right? You don't want to disappoint a customer because you're going to lose those customers. And we've been in the longest bull market, in, certainly in my lifetime. And so it, you still need to build capacity and order inventory. But you can see that the worm turns very quickly. Just in the last, what, 10 weeks, as the Fed has started raising interest rates, it has put a chill on demand. And we're seeing Target and Walmart and Amazon all have sort of mediocre Q1s and guiding for lower Q2s. And so, you know, what do you do if it feels like you'd rather have the inventory available for your customers, but that said, working capital is important. And if you're sitting on inventory, that means you can't spend money on hiring developers or uh, opening new business lines. And so it's probably each business has to think about like, uh, what is the cost of losing a customer versus what are the cost of being overstocked? And probably for fashion, it's a much different thing because the fashion's out of fashion in, in six weeks or eight weeks. Whereas, you know, if you order a bunch of Instapots or cordless drills, those are pretty durable. And so, you know, if you're a big retailer like Home Depot or Lowe's, you might buy a bunch of cordless drills at the end of the quarter and store them someplace. And, and that works for you because you've got a good balance sheet. But if you're an up and coming brand, uh, you may be on the other side of that trade, right? <laughs> the brand may say, oh my God, I've got 100,000 cordless drills that are sitting on my balance sheet. I'd rather offload those. And so, you know, I, I think one of the important points is to figure out what your optimization function is or your fitness function is like, is it profit maximization? Is it survival? <laughs> is it working capital? Is it uh, gaining customers? All of those would lead you down a different path. That's just a lot. That's a lot to chew on, <laughs> but uh, a great stuff. Um, want to thank you so much for your time today, Dave. This has been amazing. And so thank you for joining Commerce Confidential. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'd like to thank Dave Glick for being our guest and for the excellent conversation. If you'd like to learn more about Flex, and I know that you do, you can visit them at flex.com. But wait, it's F-L-E-X-E.com. Don't forget the extra E. Commerce Confidential is a Gorilla Group, a Wonderman Thompson Company production. I'm your host, Randy Cole. Special production support by Fiona Jessup and Betsy Stewart. Original music by Adam Lee Murphy. Thanks, Adam. If you haven't already, please like or subscribe to this podcast, and good things will happen. Thank you so, so much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Commerce Confidential. In the meantime, 